0: So hi, everyone. Welcome to another Diversity, Equity and Inclusion podcast. It's great to have your company. My name is Lee Fitzroy, and I work in the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Division as the Coordinator of Primary Prevention. Now, before I introduce the topic and our guest, I would like to acknowledge the Waterung people, the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm currently standing. I would like to acknowledge Elders past, present and emerging and thank them for their care and custodianship of the land and the waterways. We are very conscious that people have busy work schedules. So we want to thank you for taking time out to contribute to this really important conversation about Rainbow Families. This is Hero McDonald, the university librarian, and thank you so much for making time to meet with me and to have this conversation. I know you meet lots of people in the course of your work, and you and I actually met in 2022. You were facilitating a really fabulous conversation about your own experience as part of the um, We're at Purple event, Mm -hmm. and also as part of a human library series. During our conversation, you really generously shared your experience of both being non-binary and also a parent in a world where people expect someone to be either a man or a woman. I learned a huge amount from you, and I'm sure that our conversation today will provide our listeners with a deeper understanding of both people who are gender diverse and also offer a brief glimpse into the lives and experiences of diverse families. So, Hiro, perhaps a good place to start is for you to tell us a bit about yourself and your journey of identifying yourself and then coming out as non-binary.
1: Well, thank you, Lee, and it is really a pleasure to be with you here this afternoon. I guess... Look, in in responding to that question, I think a a good place to start might be with um, what do we actually mean when we say non-binary? Because it's a a label that really does cover quite a broad range of identities and experiences that, you know, all, as you've said, essentially kind of fall outside of that traditional gender binary. Um, And we could probably have a whole conversation, you know, specifically about that topic alone. But I guess just uh, quickly and and fundamentally, From my perspective, non-binary identities are ones that don't fit in to those traditional binaries of male and female, but recognizing there's a real diversity within that. So, you know, some non-binary folk identify as both genders. For other people, it's about identifying as neither. And for others, it's really about sort of being somewhere on a spectrum. And and for others, it's a much more sort of fluid thing. Um, So some non-binary folk identify as trans non-binary and others don't use that label at all. So it's definitely not a sort of monolithic or or homogenous identity. Uh, And I guess I think it's quite interesting, you know, to to kind of reflect on gender from a a cultural perspective and and in many sort of Western societies, you know, that gender binary um, has been, I would say, really predominantly unquestioned, but also really strictly policed. And there's been traditionally not a lot of space outside of that for for people who don't quite fit. Um, Whereas obviously when we sort of look at other Um, a range of other cultures you know there are lots of examples of trans identities or a third gender being much more accepted and understood but I guess in terms of my own journey you know I would say I guess I've had a sort of interesting maybe complicated relationship with gender right from the beginning. I think from my perspective, it never made a lot of sense to me. And I don't think I ever felt really, really comfortable with those labels of girl or woman or boy or man for that matter. And I've always wanted to be something else or felt like something else. I wanted a third option, something that probably allowed me just to be human and be freed from expectations and interpretations and rules and sort of the connotations that seem to be so firmly embedded within this sort of western western construct of gender and the the gender binary so for me i mean when i sort of went to uni and you know this is in the 90s and I started my undergraduate degree and I took a number of gender studies subjects or they were women's studies subjects um, back then and through the course of those I started reading a whole range of sort of gender theorists and trans activists people like uh, Judith Butler, Jack Halberstram, Kate Bornstein, you know they're quite sort of I guess famous names but at the time it was all very new for me. and I remember reading Judith Butler and you know she talks about gender being this sort of culturally scripted performance driven by norms rather than biology. And she talks about it sort of being really imposed rather than something that's kind of natural or innate in people. And it was kind of like pretty mind-blowing. Um, it's something that sort of really resonated with me and and I guess my experience and reflections and, you know, reading authors like that and reading activists like that, it sort of starts to give you words to describe feelings that have been really implicit. And I think, yeah, reading Butler made me realise and helped me to articulate some of my frustrations and I guess the friction that I'd felt where these sort of culturally scripted gender norms really sort of played out. And I guess from my perspective, always felt like they were a little bit forced on me and others. And I guess it was, you know, on quite a profound level, I I really sort of resented and and rejected a lot of those norms because they just didn't match my sense of self or how I want it to be seen or or understood.
0: And hero, that's such an amazing lyrical description. And I love the intersections with theory because I remember reading Judith Butler's work in the early 90s and being, as you said, being really struck by her capacity to talk about gender as performance and how tightly prescribed the ways we have to operate Mm -hmm. within our society and the ways that's um, policed and people get punished and uh, get forced into operating in a particular way. And I can imagine how liberating it must have been to come across some language to describe a really different experience of gender and gender identity. And so I'm wondering if I can ask you a bit about your experience being a parent. And even would you define your family as a rainbow family? Is I mean, you know, you and I are also exploring labels and sometimes the difficult Impact of particular labels on people. So I'd be mm. interested in both your view of that and also your experience of having a family in a really different context.
1: Yeah, okay, so there's a few um elements to that question. <laughs> yeah,
0: sorry, hero like, like four questions all at once. Yeah, great <laughs> interviewing style. Um, <laughs> all
1: right, let let me start with the first part. So thinking about parenting. I mean, I guess firstly, just to to say what, an incredible and beautiful and profoundly life-changing thing parenthood is. Um, and, you know, I'm only right at the beginning. My my baby's just turned one. So I've only sort of been on this journey for a little while. But I guess in the context of, of this conversation specifically, one of the things that I would say has been most challenging about, about the experience so far has been that sort of the gendered overlay that really infuses Almost everything about parenthood in that sort of public realm. And when I think about my experience as a parent, you know, and I I think first about my relationship with my child. And for me, gender is completely invisible in that relationship. You know, it's not something that I have to think about at all. It's completely irrelevant to the relationship that I have with my child. We're two human beings on this kind of incredible journey together. And in some ways, You know, I actually feel completely free to be the parent that I want to be and not be constrained in any sense by any of the sort of heteronormative rules and regulations that I think many straight cis people are, are very much sort of guided by and sometimes limited by. You know, I'm simply a parent and my role is to love and to nurture and to teach and clean up after and bathe and feed and support and cherish my child, you know, and my role is really to be there for her in the way that she needs me. And that is, or at least it, it should be the least gendered thing in the whole world. Yeah. So you've got that sort of experience of parenthood. And then there's the kind of the relationship that you have with your child as the world sees it or interprets it or reflects back to you. And that is, is probably the space that I find really challenging. Um, I think every step along the way, you know, you're told in very sort of subtle or explicit ways that as a non-binary person, you simply don't fit or make sense. And that there's really kind of no room for you if you don't even identify in those sort of really binary terms. And, you know, language is always really important. And I know we've talked a lot about that. And obviously, non-binary folks have adopted quite commonly pronouns like they, them, that gives us that sort of space and representation in language. But at this point, we sort of don't have equivalent non-binary, non-gendered terms for parenting labels like mum and dad. And so, you know, while some non-binary folk have kind of created different labels to use personally with their children, there's no accepted or common alternative in, in common usage. Um, aside from the term "parent," which obviously doesn't have the same sort of personal or affectionate connotations, and it's also quite tricky for a baby to say.
0: Yes, and I was really struck, Hero, while you were speaking about the gaps in the narrative now, and the the silences, and the the fact that your lived experience, your child's lived experience, isn't being reflected, and how challenging that would be to navigate. Yeah. True, especially in the public sphere. As you said, your relationship with your child is in an ethic of care. It doesn't matter about gender when it's a parenting, loving, compassionate, warm, giving relationship, but it's the public spaces and how challenging that must be.
1: Lee, it's it's really challenging and it and it's certainly not something that I have an answer for at this point. It's it's just something that, you know, we are continuing to to navigate. I think that the issue of languages is such an important one, but such a problematic one. It's not just kind of finding something for my baby to call me, but it's also, you know, easy ways for people to refer to me in relation to my baby. And that carries over into all sorts of really kind of weird and quite boring administrative issues, you know, where non-binary identities and... Parents are excluded or, or erased. And, you know, I, I wish I could tell you how many times I've, you know, had to fill out a form and there's literally only the option of mum or dad in the dropdown, or where mums and dads is the phrase that people use to refer to to parents. So, I mean, not to kind of get too into the nitty gritty, but I think it's really interesting as well that I wish I had a dollar for the, the number of times people have sort of asked me who I am to the baby. You kind mm-hmm. of think well, that's quite progressive of you for not assuming. Um, And I say, you know, I'm my child's parent and I've been chosen to call um, by my name hero. But what is really hilarious is that even after that conversation, the number of people that are so fixated and entrenched in their thinking about binary roles that regardless of what I say in that that interaction, they still put me down as either mum or dad. Honestly, it's 50-50 pretty much. Like at swimming lessons, I get called mummy by the instructor. Um, when I go to the maternal child health nurse with my partner, who is a cis woman, they call me dad or in other, you know, contexts, they sort of like just mumble and might call me both or neither. And, mm. you know, I can sort of laugh that off because I'm a pretty, you know, pretty confident person uh, within my own self and my own identity, but it's actually not that funny. Um, no. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty shocking how non-inclusive the parenting world can be. And I guess how limited and, and prescriptive our ideas around parenting and parenting roles can be.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, what's really struck me hero is thinking about the courage that it takes to engage in this journey. And I know, you know, part of it is this is not something you choose. This is something you are, and you're embodying that. And I guess I'm I'm interested if you have any advice for anyone who might be listening who's questioning their own gender identity or, you know, how they fit within their family context, and that could be a child, it could be a parent, it could be someone who's considering parenthood, and what your advice might be because you have so much lived wisdom.
1: I guess, again, you know, there's a sort of a few things in in that question, Lee, but <laughs> perhaps to go back where I started you know I think that the best parent that you can be is to be yourself and once if you're able to take away you know and not absorb the complications of the interactions that you have with the outside world which seem absolutely kind of hell-bent on um, enforcing the gender binary on parents and children for that matter but that's another conversation entirely you know the experiencing of parenting doesn't have to be gendered and I think It is such a beautiful thing to be human um, and to parent another human. And, you know, I think that perhaps regardless of our identities, there is beauty in not being bound by those sort of traditional notions of what mum and dads could or should be like. I, as a human being, am simply focused on being the absolute best parent that I can be for my child. And that necessarily involves living as my authentic and very strong self you know as i said before it's about nurturing my child and teaching her and loving her and being present with her and making sure that she feels completely secure while giving her the space to to kind of grow into the person that she wants to be
0: that's a gorgeous summary of of some real basic tenets about being a good human being within the space regardless yeah. of the labels that are attached i think we know that it is tough you know and we know that young people struggle sometimes with these sorts of journeys and given your lived experience and knowledge, have you got any advice that you would give your younger self? Oh,
1: good. Look, good question. I think, look, probably not. I would, I'd probably just say, you know, be yourself and and maybe get into yoga earlier <laughs> and look after I your future it. body. Cause that is also really important and certainly something I sort of wish I had had done. But yeah, Lee, getting back to the the other part of your question, I guess, earlier is, you know, noting that I think today, you know, I speak from, from a position of privilege. And while, yes, my experience as a non-binary person and parent, of course, is challenging because you're running up against a very sort of binary world, I've got a great community around me and I really do kind of recognize that privilege for other particularly young people coming through and, and questioning their gender or perhaps being in circumstances where they are not in a a place of safety due to discrimination and and the threat of violence, you know, those unfortunately are very, very common situations. And so I guess I would say, you know, to, to those people and to your question, you're not alone. You have a right to be safe and you have a right to be happy. And there are lots of support services and people that you can speak to to make sure that you're in a safer and better position and I think obviously Deacon has um, you know some really has a strong commitment in this space the DEI team, safer communities, there are lots of people that you can speak to. And I just think encourage people to kind of connect with community. Switchboard Victoria is an amazing resource, you know, for the queer community or people who are questioning. It's a peer support service um, for the community and there are many others. So I think the key thing is building your community and, and connecting with other people.
0: Yeah, that's a gorgeous place to probably end on hero. I do want to thank you. Thank you for taking time out to speak with such courage and honesty about your experience, both parenting your daughter and also thinking about your advice for anyone who's listening and anyone who's thinking, because we know that change only happens when individuals speak their truth. And also that people listen you know, sometimes they speak into an empty space. And so I really invite listeners to have the courage to question and challenge and change old beliefs and old truths that perpetuate discrimination and abuse and harassment against people who may have the courage to be different. So to our listeners out there, thank you for taking time to listen. Thank you, Hero. I hope everybody has been challenged and inspired by your journey. Wish you well in that journey. Um, we do obviously want to acknowledge that this episode of Respect, Belong, Thrive is sponsored by the Community Bank at Deakin, to partnership between Bendigo Bank, Adelaide Bank, and Deakin, and it provides grants for community projects and events and initiatives. So, Hero, thank you. I'll let you get back to your busy work schedule, and I wish you well in your journey. And thank our listeners for taking the time to listen to this conversation. Thanks, Hero.
1: Thanks, Lee.